This is Mackenzie Milton. This is Steve Levy from ESPN. And you're listening to One Night Stand. And you're listening to One Night Stand. One Night Stand. Hey, c'est condition ça qui t'est passé. Just One Night Stand. Avant toute bagaille t'est commencé. One Night Stand. Pas de penser que c'est ton si bon miel qui m'a été pour This is One Night Stand, presented by First Watch, the official breakfast and lunch sponsor of One Night Stand. What up, Night Nation? It is a much-needed bye week on today's show. We recap the unfortunate Louisville game. We'll go through the game, talk about, obviously, the injuries and how we're going to move forward, I guess, as a team and as a fan base. A little Mikey Keen talk. Then we have um, one of our favorite guests. It's Anthony Squints Lenahan. He is a football analyst, analytics guy. Used to work for Pro Football Focus, ESPN. Definitely way smarter than us football-wise. And we talk all about Gus's offense. We talk about the fourth, or we talk about the decision to pass the ball after the interception. He charted Mikey Keene, has some info on that, and just all-around great football information. So glad to have him on. As always, Money Moves Picks, Moves Mailbag. Speaking of, I'm here with... Money Moo UCF went on the road for the first time in 2021 with a trip to ACC opponent Louisville. After a back-and-forth game with no team leading by more than a touchdown, Tremont Morris-Brash picked off Malik Cunningham to set up a potential game-winning field goal. The Louisville's D comes up with an interception of their own, a house call, as UCF loses more than just a Friday night game. Louisville 42, UCF 35. So, I guess we're even on like the crazy wins with Louisville. The last one there, we talked about it last week, 2013, 21-point comeback. This one, I mean, I wouldn't say they stole it from us, but it was just heartbreaking how it went down. Well, I just want to say real quick that, yeah, you know, they kind of avenged the loss from 2013. However, the infamous pick of the Louisville girl doing the surrender Cobra, which everyone, of course, saw you uh, on TV with your (laughs) Awesome Big 12 flag. I was really hoping you weren't in the surrender Cobra position for the camera to find after that because that would have been meme city, baby. I would have. Yeah, (laughs) that's one. That's like that'd be like the crying Jordan of uh, UCF memes, especially because it's me not like bragging, but it's like, hey, here's the guy that talks a lot online. And I'll yeah, I would have never been able to live that down. I must have been. I don't even know. I would hate to see what I looked like. I wasn't even like mad or really upset. I think I was just sitting there with like my jaw on the floor because you got to understand when we got that interception, I mean, that was like, it was the best thing in the world. I was going crazy. I'm like, this is great. You know, like we're going to win this. This is going to be another close one as I'm still processing that. And remember I'm in the front row, so you can't, you don't see everything as well. So I see the ball snap, and I'm still, like, happy and everything. And then, dude, next thing I know, there's just, like, a stampede of red people running the opposite way. And he, and then I'm like, oh, someone's got to catch him. No one catches him. And then it's over. And it's like, I, I mean, I'm sure you guys have seen my, my timeline of despair. 
went through all phases of grief there, but, you know, start off with shock. I forget what they all are, like disbelief. I don't know, but denial, denial, uh, and then acceptance at the end. I'm like, well, we're undefeated in the conference, so <laughs> we're good to go. Um, yeah. what, so what, I had a big denial phase because I was just looking at the bottom of the screen waiting for the little yellow flag oof. icon to appear for like a holding or something. Just never, never did. did. So what what was it like watching the game from home? What were your kind of overall thoughts? And uh, then we can kind of, I guess, go through it. I mean... It was going to be a blowout. At the beginning of the game, it was like going to be a blowout. Yeah, so we had that the big pass to O'Keefe, and then we had the thing where uh, we had the ball, and we talk about this with squints. It was fourth and six, draw them off sides, fourth and one. Then we fall starts, fourth and six again, and then we punt it, which squints will talk about later, but I'll just I'll give you a little preview now. He said that was actually the wrong move. We should have went for it. But, yeah, it felt like we had all the momentum, and then, you know – Going back to something that Gus had mentioned during halftime or before halftime at the Boise game that we saw in the ESPN Our Time show, he said, you know, score before the half, we win the game. What did Louisville do? They scored before the half, and they won the game. That You know, there's a lot of things that you could point to, but if they hadn't scored that touchdown, I don't think we lose that game. Yeah, it was such a roller coaster. I mean, back and forth, back and forth. No one ever led by more than a touchdown, but I think to, you know, emphasize your point more, it was them outscoring us 21-7 after we had that big play. And yes, we did, you know, Jalen Robinson with the most incredible catch I've ever seen. Very close to the, one of the Odell Beckham's uh, crazy catches. Um, I couldn't believe that. if If it wasn't for that, in the first half, after we had the long pass to O'Keefe, we really didn't do much. That was on fourth down, too, wasn't it? Yeah. Oof. So you got to think now, at this point, it's almost like we're a little lucky to even be in the game. So I guess it doesn't make it as And it was surprising. really just the offense, like, stalling. We didn't turn the ball over in the first half. You know, so I, I just... I don't know. We just well, looked bland. You know, one thing was Bowser getting hurt, and I think it's what I heard. Don't quote me on this. I heard it's like a knee bruise, but when he was hurt, he was right in front of me, like running back and forth, doing little uh, – we do it with your feet, like shuffling or whatever, cutting side to side, and he looked okay, but then after doing that, he wasn't like asking to get in, so I don't know. I don't really know how the chain of command works for injuries, but – we did see him back for a little bit in the second half, but honestly... Yeah, but he looked nowhere near like he did in the first. Yeah, so I think, you know, one, that has a lot to do with the offense uh, sputtering. And, you know, two, I think being on the road, you know, first road game, um, their fans, they could have been louder, but it was definitely somewhat of a hostile environment. Uh, our fans were really loud. I couldn't believe when I was re-watching the game when I got home, how loud we were on, like, the opening kickoff and, and some of the third downs and stuff. So shout-out to the fans that traveled. But, yeah, I mean, you know, it is what it is. And, uh, you know, adversity is the true test of your character. And I think that, you know, that doesn't matter if you're a player or if you're just a fan like us. Uh, so, you know, we need to keep supporting this team no matter what happens. I get it. We're emotional, but 
you know, uh, some of the things that were said online, I think are stupid, but as someone who has said a lot of stupid things online, I understand, but I will never, ever bash a player. That is one thing I've never done and never will. So just going to leave it at that. So let's talk about kind of like the elephant in the room here. Um, QB one DG last play of the game on a somewhat hook and ladder, you know, trying for a miracle kind of play. And he just threw the ball up just so the game wasn't over pretty much at that point. And it kind of rolled to Dylan. Dylan jumps on it. Guy jumps on Dylan broken collarbone. (sighs) So I guess two part question. What is your stance on having all the starters in for a very, very low chance play like that when an injury actually occurred and two, where does the team kind of go from here with the possibility of, you know, Mikey Keene or Joey Gatewood being in a quarterback? So that one score, you got to have all your starters in the game or else you're just giving up. You know, if you're down two scores, I get it. That would be a waste. But, and this is, this is going to be a theme, I think, on this week's show, is you can't look at a result and then judge the decision off of that result. In this case, the result was the broken collarbone. The decision was to run a trick play to try and tie the game. No one was faulting Gus at that time for doing that. So you can't have like a results-based mentality and be like, oh, well, he shouldn't have been in. I mean, that was a fluke. Just like that interception was a fluke. And again something I talked about with squints, but it's like that was the right play call. Just something fluky happened. You know, they could have fumbled if they ran it. At the time, based on the personnel and how they were lined up, the pass was the right play. And running the trick play was the right play. And then how do we move forward? Uh, Well, we got to keep our heads up. And this is going to be a theme, but this is also something squints brought up is he thinks we're going to see both of them. And I think he's right because we've already kind of been sprinkling in Gatewood. That was with DG at quarterback. One can only you can only assume that his usage is going to increase just based off the fact that he was playing with Dylan and now we've got a much less experienced person. It's good that we have options, I think. Um I don't know. How do you feel going forward? I mean, it's obviously not going to be the same, but our recruiting, you know, the last couple years i feel like we've gotten bigger name recruits even though it was hypo you know recruiting everybody <laughs> but um no i, th- I think mikey Keene. It-, it makes me feel a lot more at ease that we got to see him in that bethune copeman game i feel like he you know came into the game with poise he looked like he belonged out there he didn't panic on any plays um, I don't really remember any like super errant throws. Nope. So he he definitely eased my mind, and um, Joey Gatewood too. I, I mean, he's a big dude. I, I feel like he's so he definitely big. could be a huge part of our offense going forward. Um, and not to mention too, you know, if Bowser's out for another week or so, Johnny Richardson had a little coming out party this week he led the team in rushing he had another really great uh return that return was awesome i he's gonna take one to the house soon i feel it yeah oh i hope so so you know and trillian coles also is a very steady back i think the kind of one two tandem 
of Coles and Richardson, they're they're starting to click. They're starting to click together now, and 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 how they're going to work in this offense if Bowser misses some time. I just got to say, thank God we had like eight really good running backs because, <laughs> I mean, we would be trying to you know grab guys off the street at this point if we were other programs. I mean, this is insane. Now we're on our fourth running back with those you know with the original three bentavius the rj harvey bentavius rj harvey and now bowser now we're on richardson and the guy behind him trillion coles looks good too who's next i can't wait to see not i mean man mark anthony richards did actually get into the game a little bit oh. um so he, <laughs> he will <laughs> He would, I guess, be, you know, six stringer. That's crazy. In it, case we need it. It's a good thing, though. You know, we, just a testament to how well we've recruited skill position players over the last, uh, I'd say, since like 2016. There's always been depth at wide receiver, and there's always been depth at running back. And now we really, really need it. Whereas in years past, we had really, really solid guys like Marlon Williams who were just buried on the depth chart. Now it's kind of. They're, it's kind of being shown, I guess, at the running back position. Let's talk about the defense for a few minutes. I feel as though there were softer coverages. Again, mobile quarterbacks who it's not really this particular team's fault, but I feel like in the history of UCF, we've never been able to contain mobile quarterbacks. It makes no sense. Like, What's not, It's not easy. Half That's time. Have you played Madden? That's why everyone plays with Vic. Okay, I understand that, but at half the time it was like Montalvo running full speed, and my God, he was running very fast for his size. So, but he could not, you know, he could not beat Malik Cunningham. Same thing, Bryson Armstrong, Selascar almost caught him one time. I mean, um, here's the thing, though. It's like Ricky Barber got hurt. Okay, so they had we had to put in. Uh, Montalvo at D end and they kept running it towards him. And it's like, what are we going to do? I mean, I get it, but we only have so many players and you know, Montalvo did the best he could. I mean, look, Cunningham's probably faster than a lot of our DV DBs and he's, he's bigger than most of them too. That's why mobile quarterbacks don't have to be the best passers and can still be game changers. And yeah, you know, but with him not being the best passer, like, how I feel like every time he threw the ball, do you couldn't even see one of our defenders like in the screen? These people were so wide open. It makes no sense. Yeah. Uh, other stuff from the game. Uh, so I guess I kind of touched on this earlier, but what were your thoughts on you know running the ball that first play after the interception? Oh, or pass, um... but not running the ball. <laughs> I mean, okay, so to me, yeah, obviously we should have ran the ball. Hindsight's twenty twenty, but I disagree. I will say this: Obarski has yet to attempt a field goal. That's what I'm saying. It's like how close, how close do we have to get? And not only that, here's the thing: we were on, we were on the Louisville thirty, what forty one. So that would have been a what, a fifty-five yarder? Yeah, right. You don't play. You play like, to win the game. You win the game dude, with the touchdown. Thir- there was only thirteen seconds left. There wasn't. Right? No. There was. I think it was like thirty. Oh, 25. 
25 seconds in college that's forever we did have three timeouts though and it's college how do you how do you, how do you play the game don't call a timeout the whole game we had all six well i mean the <laughs> first makes no sense well who hold... cares give them a breather or something well i mean they're more important than like breathing in the second half and the first half i don't know but here's the thing i mean even if you love obarski like if they're giving you an open shot at a pass to take a big chunk out and it's college and you got your timeouts like take the pass but here's here's something else though so everyone on social media is like complaining that fans are complaining to fire gus i haven't actually seen that from anyone have you seen that from anyone no, the only bad stuff I've seen about Gus is really like old salty Auburn fans. Dude, they got about be, it. Imagine if you liked Gus and then not only did we beat you guys and you're like a Gus fan, but then he gets fired and hired by the team that beat you. <laughs> Cuz you wouldn't be salty about us having him if you didn't like him. You'd be like, "Oh, ha, huh, like whatever." You wouldn't complain about it. I don't yeah. know. That's uh that's fans for you. Um, got anything else from the game? Oh, trick plays. Yeah, just want to trick, trick plays. play was very cool. That was really cool. Um, just want to talk a little bit about the betting on this game mm. for a minute. So right, I'm gonna, if I'm you gonna all, just turn my mic off or my headset off. I don't want to hear it. If you all can remember, I did not give the money move blessing uh, to bet this game. However. A lot of you on Twitter were saying this was a stone-cold lock, lock of the century, uh, lock of the decade. And i not saying that I knew something was up, but, I mean, I'm not, like, amazing at betting sports, but I'm pretty damn good. And when my kind of system says to, like, don't bet on UCF, like, I at least am, you know, expert level UCF better. I just knew something was different about this game, and, and especially on the road. So I didn't take UCF, but I did take a bunch of dumb props that seemed very easy <laughs> and clearly weren't. So it probably like the perfect storm of things. First off, I bet Bowser to score a touchdown. Yes. That was like free. My, minus 175. I mean, kid has like seven touchdowns, two games. And yeah, thanks course, for sending that to me. Getting hurt on like the second drive, <laughs> and also this was a big um, jinx by me in the fourth quarter. Uh, I also bet at the beginning of the game, will Will Dylan Gabriel throw an interception? I said no for a plus one forty. Uh, halfway through the fourth quarter, I texted Sean, well, at least the DG no-pick bet will cash. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so, anyways. Yeah, it's definitely your fault that crazy play happened. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Probably. How did that happen? Uh, it did. Duh. Dude, they're thinking the same thing, you know, eight years ago. We could sit here and go over every lucky-ass play that we've had. You know, in, yeah, in the last there's, 10 years. There's been a lot that have worked out more for us than have ended up being losses. A lot, I feel like. so. Yeah, for sure. So, all right, on that real quick, um, 
Was this the most painful loss in UCF history? No, 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 no. What do you have? I, try, I was going to come up with like a fab five of painful losses. It's and not, I have not very one. fab. It's like a, I don't know, a fart five <laughs> or something. <laughs> Drab five. Um, I do have one. Okay, first off, so my number one most painful loss is obviously Pitt. There's no way that you could find a more painful loss than that. Like, okay, LSU and the Fiesta Bowl. Yeah, we didn't have Milton. So, like, we knew it was going to be close, but it really wasn't that painful because they kind of worked us the whole game. Pitt, though, after coming back from 21 nothing, and then giving up <laughs> the Pitt special on fourth, fourth down. Because it's like, you know, we still had the regular season winning streak intact. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, so like, and not only that, if you watch that replay, like it was such a bad pass. It went through such a tight window. Yeah, I don't know. No, I've got one that'll top that. I can't believe you didn't mention it. Duke. Really? The Duke game. Oh! Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that, I think, is probably the most painful loss as a UCF fan. Obviously not football, but, I mean, you know, the number one overall seed versus UCF, who had just won our first – March Madness game ever against three a team a Duke team that had three lottery picks and and Zion Williamson who was like supposed to be the next coming of LeBron James and you know we've got Taco and BJ and ah oh, it was such a good game and you know obviously ended in heartbreaking fashion with Aubrey's tip that probably goes in ninety nine percent of the time but yeah that's what makes sports so, fun uh an, another painful loss that I know everyone has forgotten. But put it down memory lane. We were both there. The 2008 Warren I-4 at home. Oof. Overtime loss. Of course, we were unranked. Um, they were ranked, though, I think. Or they, they were, were good, right? 17. That was the year they got to number two for four minutes. No, that and was, we two, almost that beat was 2007. Him. Was it? Yeah, it 100% oh. was. All right. So anyway, with a minute 40 left, Michael Greco completes the 31-yard touchdown pass to Rocky Ross. And then in overtime, Matt Grothy, 25-yard touchdown to Cape Coral High School grad, Torres Johnson. Um, Yeah, that one sucked. Where we ended up 4-8 and eight that year. So that was like our Super Bowl, and we almost, we almost uh, won it. Pulled off the upset. Yeah. But anyway. Um, right. So other... I like talking about losses. Yeah, I guess loss is kind of a theme of this show. Uh, other, I guess, bad, heartbreaking losses. Uh, 2020 Memphis. That was uh, not a fun one, especially considering how and where I found out. Uh, and then also Tulsa last year and Cincinnati, both you know double-digit blown leads. Those are never fun. Uh, another one, too, actually, now that we mentioned Tulsa, was it... 2019, when I think we lost the game with, like, too many men on the field or something like that. Yeah, yeah, that was the at Tulsa game. That was the, be- that was the beginning, I think, of my fire hypo because, I mean, there was just – it was just sloppy, inexcusable, lazy stuff happening, and, you know, it all kind of came to a culmination there. But, uh, anyway, that's behind us. Did you have anything else? I'm done with the losses. All right. But we need to recap – you know, what all happened in the Louisville loss. Um, Do we? With an expert. Oh, yeah. 
I thought you just wanted to talk about it more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all right, so let's get to our interview with Squints, like I said, football analytics guru, uh, analyst, worked for Pro Football Focus, ESPN, among other companies. We talk about the game. We talk about how Gus's offenses have looked. You know, now that he's had three games to watch. He charted a bunch of stuff. He explains what a power run game is because, honestly, I just keep saying it because I know we're doing it. Didn't really know what it was. Knew it had something to do with the linemen, and we weren't doing it before. Um, he also scouted Mikey Keene, so we talk about that and just some other general good football conversation uh, from someone that knows a lot more about the game than me and you, Moo. So let's get to that. All right, guys, we're joined now by our favorite guest. It is Anthony Squints Lenahan. He is a football analyst, among other things. How you doing, dude? I'm doing good, I guess. Uh, it seems like every time you have me on here, uh, it's after a loss, so I don't know if favorite would be the uh, right word to use there. <laughs> well, I think you give everyone clarity. And it's not always after a loss. Uh, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> but, but, um, I mean, well, in the beginning, it was when uh, they weren't losing at all. So, Simpler times for sure. Let's start off with Gus's offense. We've seen it for three games now. Um, what's kind of your main takeaways, and what's the biggest difference, I guess, from, from last year? Uh, the run scheme's definitely, like, a lot different. Uh, you're seeing a little bit more power, uh, a lot of split zone, uh, zone reads, inside zone, can you explain, let's start off with power. Can you explain that? Because like, I feel like most people listening don't know that much about football. Yeah, so um, power is basically going to be the opposite. The backside guard is going to be pulling. Right. Now there's plays where the backside guard will pull and it's not power per se. But if, you, if you're like power right, that means the left guard pulls in front of the running back, yeah. right? And hits the hole. That's correct. We never did that under Hypel, right? Uh, no, they ran a lot of, like, dart, which is the backside tackle. Um, they ran a lot of, like, GY counter with the, the H-back, or really the tight end just lined up in, like, the wing spot. Right. Um, so they ran a lot of that kind of stuff. They basically ran inside zone, which is just zone blocking inside. Like, there's outside zone where you see, like, the Rams run it, like, most in the NFL, just wider than inside zone is that you're running to the outside rather than the inside, just mm-hmm. to keep it extremely simple. Um, zone insert where, like, pretty much the H-back or is going to be just kind of lead blocking, but the five linemen are going to be zone blocking. So you just kind of follow the the uh, H-back through the hole. Um, they ran a lot of toss delay with a power blocking scheme had to kind of hold the linebackers. They ran that a lot. I don't know if... I'm sure people picked up on like the kind of the toss play that they ran to the boundary side a lot against Boise. So basically they were running, they would pull the backside guard to kind of hold the linebackers to let the running back get outside and kind of take away the linebackers angle. And then they would hold the, the end on the play side with DG kind of just waiting. Like it's almost like an option mm-hmm. where I'm sure if the end actually left and took up, took the back, DG would probably have the option to keep, but right. it's more of just a toss delay, so he's kind of just holding them and then pitching them. It worked out pretty well for them in that game. Uh, the offensive line has been terrific, uh, just in general. is like one of the major differences. Uh, you even see it 
I think last year and under Heupel, they, they missed a lot of blocking assignments against the three-man front. And Boise pretty much ran a three-man front the entire game. Louisville, I haven't been able to go back and rewatch, So I don't know if they're running a three-man, four-man, or kind of switching it up. But against Boise State, UCF's averaged 3.7 line, line yards per rush. So that's just like take away the running back, 3.7 yards. Like the line was just dominating. Right. Uh, in comparison, Boise only got averaged 0.2. Um, and then against Louisville, UCF was at 4.3 line yards per rush. And Louisville was at 3.3, which is kind of like average. But UCF was in the green for both of those in terms of like where you would want them to be. Um, just absolute great display from the offensive line, which I guess you expect kind of bringing back almost everybody from last year. Uh, but the coaching staff seems to be a little bit better with working on assignments, um, just zone blocking against the three-man front and who's going to pick up who and that kind of good stuff. So that's been like the biggest difference. I don't know if this has been noticeable to kind of everybody else, but it seems like they picked up a little bit of Hypo's concepts in the passing game. Um, if you follow PFF Seth, uh, I think it's like at Seth underscore Galena on Twitter or something like that. He's a great follow just in terms of learning the game and stuff like that. But he tweeted during the like first quarter of the Louisville game that it looks like UCF is kind of taking some stuff from Heupel's passing concepts, just in terms of splits, quick reads, and stuff like that. So that's something that's interesting. I'm going to be very curious to see how that goes moving forward with Keen coming in, who really, I don't, I think he's a true freshman, correct? Yeah, he's a, he's a true freshman. So he never was under Hypel's system. It could have been something that DG was really comfortable with and asked, you know, Gus if we could keep some of this stuff. So yeah. I'm curious how that's going to move on uh, going forward, but. I could see that because, like, I think that's what happened KZ's first year under Heupel, too. If you go back and watch some of those games, the offense looked a lot different than it did under 2020 Josh Heupel. So I, I think you're probably onto something there. Exactly. And if you if you look at, like, DG, kind of like he was kind of like a first-read QB. It was either he's staring down the first read if he's not just playing with the safety, like just with his little fake look-off um, – back to the first read or he was going first read to check down pretty much every single time, especially versus Boise. Like I said, I haven't had the chance to go back and rewatch the Louisville game. So I don't know if it carried over, but that was very noticeable. So I'm curious to see how things are going to move forward without DG um, in terms of the offensive scheme. But yeah, for the most part, it's been a little bit different on the rushing side of things, but kind of similar on the passing side of things. And I, don't think we've seen as much motion as we expected to see um, and kind of eye candy. We've seen definitely infinitely more motion than we saw last year, though. Even, oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, definitely. anything one is infinitely more than zero, so uh, that's definitely good. Also, a nice, uh, nice selection of trick plays, which isn't surprising because, you know, if you remember the Peach Bowl versus Auburn, I mean, Gus was pulling out all kinds of different stuff, some Wildcat, uh, just some, some different stuff. I don't know. What what are your thoughts on those kind of plays? Yeah, I like them. Um, obviously, when they work out, like the pass back to DG for the touchdown, like it's great when that happens. But the second one didn't work out, so people are obviously going to be like, well, like why are we wasting a play on this? Oh, I think that was the first play off of a turnover or after the fake punt. So one of those like momentum-changing plays, like kind of take a shot after. Um, so I didn't hate it, but. It obviously didn't work out and kind of set them behind the change, which 
change, which is never great. And I think that killed um, UCF against Louisville. Just their third down um, average yards to go, I don't think was very good. And they were not very good on third down where Louisville was good on third down. And that's, you're put in third and long in obvious passing situations. Louisville could play too high. They could do whatever they want defensively to kind of keep everything in front of them. And that's where UCF has struggled in the recent years. So it kind of played to their favor. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. Uh, it, it was a, you know, very, I don't want to say it was a good game because it sucked, but it, it was an interesting game to watch. And I think you're definitely right about the third downs. It felt like so many times we were just in these third and long situations where, you know, your playbook's pretty limited at that point and they kind of know what you're going to do. Um, so let's talk about this. Is what had everyone fired up over the weekend was, you know, the the last play. Well, not the last play, but the second to last play. I guess the pick six. You know, we get an interception off the tip, get the ball back, pretty close to field goal territory. First down. We've been running the ball really well, and there's a pass called, and everyone's losing their mind, saying, you know, we should have run it. We had three timeouts, which. Quick to point out, those aren't that big of a deal in college as they are in the NFL. But what are your thoughts on that that pass call there? Uh, and what, what would you have done differently, if anything? So I picked up – I went back and immediately rewatched that in the morning um, once I woke up because I was curious to see what happened. Um, just in general, like, did they maybe check out? Because like, my initial thought was I was watching the game just, like, from a broad view, like, not, like, looking at, like, what – defense was in or like right in the box. you're just like watching That's the ball yeah i wanted to go back and look at because my initial thought was they've been gashing them up the middle like on inside zone like johnny richardson i think had nine carries for like 101 yards like i said the line yards were the yep. line was dominating so i was curious too like about throwing a pass there but if you go back and i went back and watched the play my first thing was did ucf check out of a play or look at the sideline after getting to the line of scrimmage, which didn't happen. Because if you go back to the Boise game on the third and goal from the eight where they scored the game-winning touchdown, uh, it looked like Gabriel looked at the sideline after they saw what defense Boise was in and they were showing a light box and UCF had the numbers advantage and they kind of looked at the, the sideline and checked to a run is mm-hmm. my guess what they were doing there. And Third and third and goal at the eight, you're thinking, well, you got to throw the ball and they scored because – they had the advantage. They checked out of a pass is what I'm assuming they did. I don't know that for sure, so I'm not going to say that. But um, they scored on that, so I was thinking, well, maybe it was something like that. Um, but, no, it looks like Louisville was in single high, which gives you what you want to pass against, per se, because you're going to get a lighter box. I mean, you're going to get a heavier box, which you don't want to run into. Um, but Gabriel – so Louisville had – Three guys to the left. Uh, Gabriel, the left, the right, their right side of the line. UCF's left side of the line, and then two guys to the opposite side, all with the nose tackle in between. So the numbers, Louisville's overloaded to one side, kind of in terms of a rush. So it looks like Gabriel goes up to the line of scrimmage and he slides the protection. Which, if you watch the play, you'll see the line clearly slides to the left to kind of block that. Mm-hmm. As he's going up to the line of scrimmage, the corner on Louisville um, to the overload side actually rotates up to a safety spot, and the nickel starts creeping in on the other side, like he's gonna, sh- like he's showing blitz. So ideally, then 
only one linebacker on the overload side can actually blitz or else you're going to have a two-on-one against the wide receiver wide receivers first corner which is an obvious like you know he could throw a screen right there he could do anything it's probably going to be a big game mm-hmm. just off the numbers so you know one of those guys has to drop back but i don't know if he didn't pick up on it if he didn't see the nickel coming in um to blitz and actually both linebackers on the overload side ended up dropping and so did the nose tackle and they actually brought more guys from the opposite side against the slide which is why the pressure was there because you had Cole sliding over to pick up the nickel and nobody was there to pick up the linebacker which I think would be the right guard if he saw it um, he was probably supposed to peel back and get him but it all just kind of happened so fast and then the nose tackle dropped back into coverage with another linebacker so if you look from a broad view on Amari's route, he's supposed to be running like a little over, a little drag, which kind of just fades out, but he was going to run into the nose tackle. So he had to kind of flatten out, and then he was looking at the nose tackle, if you like watch it closely. So he had to flatten his route out, and he picked up the pass late, which was probably also thrown earlier than expected just because of the pressure. So the timing was just completely off. and It was obviously a drop, but like you can't really pin it on Amari just because the timing was all messed up. Like, he picked up the ball late. It would have been – it looks like an easy catch, but it really wasn't. Like, you're picking up a ball late coming at you. I mean, DG throws a pretty hard, uh, short pass. So, like, it's not the easiest catch in the world, like it seems. No, like, it was um, not – it was not, he, like, an obvious – he did not drop what should have been an easy catch. And, you know, nine times out of ten, that ball doesn't just pop right into the guy's hands either. You got to remember that. Exactly. And, like – in my opinion, like that ball should have never been thrown to Amari at that time because if you look, there's two two Louisville players within two yards of him. Like if he catches the ball, he probably runs for a touchdown just because they kind of like overplayed the zone mm-hmm. um, and following DG's eyes. But like when the ball was thrown, like it's thrown as like a hospital ball. Like he could have easily got destroyed if defenders were playing it right. But I don't think you could question the run pass option there. Like you're getting the look you want to throw against um, in terms of pre-snap. They just didn't execute. Like if ideally you could hot route the, if you see the nickel coming, you could hot hot route that slot receiver. Um, I think it might've been, I think it was Caden Robinson at that moment. Uh, You could just throw a quick two yard hitch. I mean, the safety, the corner, the safety that's moving over to play corner there is 11 yards off the ball. So you could throw a quick hot route hitch there. Um, He actually ran a slot fade with, uh, the safety was playing inside technique. Like, he, if he sees that early, that's a touchdown. Um, just because he had the whole end zone t- to the sideline there. So, just everything happened so quick. It's hard to pin it on anybody. It's just like the execution, I guess, wasn't exactly there. And I think Louisville had a great pre-snap disguise and kind of worked out. Yeah. So, I guess just in general, though, like, would you agree that no matter what the game situation is, unless like obviously. You know, I, I don't know. It, it's, you know, like, say say it's like third and 20. You know, they're only rushing three, which would be a good to run. You still shouldn't run. But, like, in a situation like this, you should always take what the defense is giving you, I guess. Am, am I wrong in, in saying that? As long no, as- I would agree. Especially when you're looking at time, score, um, field position. Like, they had, to get, they had to get a first down to be in comfortable field goal. Like, 
you're not trying to get run for two yards, run for one yard, run for one yard, and kick a 52-yard field goal. Like, that's just not what you want. No, and, and I mean, let's be honest. To be comfortable with Obarski, who's not even kicked a field goal this year, I think you, you really want to get at least, you know, inside 45 yards. And uh, honestly, you want to score a touchdown and win the game, you know? Exactly. I mean, you can't play. You got to play to win. And I'll, that, I'll never knock that. Um, again, you, they get the look they want. You could run the ball and you could fumble. Like, it's not like that. That can't happen. Like, you could turn the ball over whether you run or, or pass. There it, could always be second second guessing after the fact. Like, it's easy to say you shouldn't throw the ball when uh, the ball's tipped and picked off. But if that play goes, if he hits the slot fade and it goes for a 41-yard touchdown, it's the greatest play call ever like, exactly exactly but i mean that's you know the hey. hi- the hindsight couch coaches or whatever and hey look i'm like that too if something do- doesn't go my way a lot of the time but it's good to hear it from someone that actually knows a little bit more about football than the average fan it's football i mean i posted about the boise game with the gabriel pass that he overthrew the receiver by five yards and the safety dropped a, a pick that was basically like a punt return catch like that play would have essentially given Boise the win. Like there's just so much variance and so much play by play uh, variance in football that it's like, that's why I always try and say like, you want to make the right decision every single time, whether it's a fourth down decision, whether it's throwing uh, against cover one rather than cover two. Like you just always want to maximize your decision-making. And the reason is because you don't know which play is going to mean the most. Yeah, and there's so many things you can't control, so you might as well put yourself in the most likely position to succeed with the things you can control. Exactly. Like There were two fourth down plays that I thought were, were questionable, so I had to go back and look, obviously, because that's like my favorite thing. <laughs> I, I always say you should like never kick, but um, there's one fourth and one from the plus 44, so plus 44 meaning they're on Louisville side of the field. And this was in the first quarter, I believe, down 7 nothing. actually. Uh, they actually got an offsides call. I don't know. I was try- I was getting a haircut on Friday, and it took me like two hours, and I missed the beginning of the game. How much hair but do you have? It's a long story. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, So I didn't actually see this. It was fourth and six, and Louisville went offsides. And then Hescock had a false start on the fourth and one, yeah. and then they punched. So I don't know if they lined up to go for it on the fourth and six. Right, that was weird because we we were in the same situation we started, and then uh, they decided to punt. So maybe they were just going to try and draw them off sides, but I don't know. Whatever. So UCF actually lost one point five win probability on uh, by punting there. Interesting. So it's it's basically like factoring in success rate, um, win percentage if you get the first down, and win percentage if you don't get the first down, like calculating all that in and creating like an overall win probability putting everything together so they lost 1.5 there it's actually interesting because they were down seven nothing they were still at an 84.1 percent win probability after the punt which is pretty high in my opinion uh, that's factoring in uh how the teams are doing for the season and like right. the spread and everything so it's not like two even teams were playing the spread don't mention the spread <laughs> and uh, the other one was the fourth and six at the plus 45. 
when it was 28-28 in the fourth quarter. Um, in my mind, I thought it was an obvious ghost situation. But the numbers actually had it as a plus 2.7 win probability change in favor of punting, which I thought was interesting, especially considering that the one earlier in the game was to go for it. But the thing that sucks is Louisville went down and scored a touchdown, a 94-yard drive and a 91-yard drive after both of those punts. Kind of just reemphasizing, like, just because you punt doesn't mean that you're going to get a defensive stop. And just because you go for it, and don't get it, it doesn't mean that they're going to score where they wouldn't have scored. Yeah, again, it comes down to was it the right decision at the time with the information you had, not outcome-based. I mean, look at look at Ohio State. I'm sure this drove you crazy uh, against Oregon. They punted from Oregon's, like, 36 to the one. Great punt, great special teams. And then, and then Oregon, Oregon drives 99 yards. Uh. Yep. <laughs> That could be a 14-point swing right there, and you you just don't know it. You think, oh, great punt. Our defense could get a stop here, get us back field position first and 10 in the exact same spot. We just had the ball after a bad punt or something. Could get a good return after that. But, like, you don't know what's going to happen. It's just you have to try and factor in all that at once. And it's, it's obviously it's extreme. Head coach has so much, so many duties that it's so hard to to kind of think about this stuff ahead of time. But. It's, it's crazy. That's why I don't I don't blame these half these coordinators for not being head, good head coaches because it's it's taking on like five times the responsibility along with doing what you were good at before still well. Because yeah, most of them, rightfully so, want to run their offenses. Like that's what got them the head coaching job. Like Gus Malzahn's offense got him a head coaching job. Like why is he going to give it up to somebody who hasn't earned that right yet? Like play calling wise. I totally agree. And then you know obviously the other thing that stinks is that without that tip ball, without us being in that situation, we never end up with that injury. But you could say that about, you know, almost anything in football. Uh, yeah, that that is probably the worst part about everything of kind of getting – you get on that kind of fluke play, like that probably should never even happen in the first place. It's, yeah. But, uh, what do, hey, what can you say? See what Mikey Keane can do, to be honest. Yeah, so what – um we've seen him in limited action, obviously – He's a true freshman. He was undefeated as a high school quarterback in Arizona, won a state championship, enrolled at UCF early. Um, what have you seen from him, I guess, on his highlight tapes or in his limited action so far? What are your thoughts, and how do you think he's going to do? I'm excited for him. I mean, he obviously had to play good in camp. If he beat out Quadri for the backup job, I know UCF fans love Quadri, and he's – done his job every time he's been put into games whether it be in a blowout situation or whatever so like he kind of earned the the like incumbent second string job and keen just beat him out so he had to be doing something that was extremely impressive in camp uh, and practice that we don't get to see yeah but, uh, definitely agree i mean especially you know usually when there's like a tie in those situations it'll go to the veteran so that means he must have been significantly better than quadri in just a short amount of time with the team yeah, exactly. Especially after an injury, like you would probably want like the veteran to be the one coming in. But if he's been that impressive, then let the let the kid play. He's got to learn somehow. I mean, we've seen it. DG came in as a true freshman. Millen is true freshman. Like UCF fans aren't uh, not used to having a true freshman in that QB in weird circumstances. I guess. I yeah. mean, the DG everybody <laughs> in Bush to be the QB. So like, 
it'll be interesting. Um, it's going to be weird because I think we have to lower our expectations. Like if, if Keen struggles a bit, like don't overreact. Like Milton struggled a little bit as a freshman. Like all these kids are going to struggle. It's a completely different game in terms of speed, uh, reading coverages, what defenses can run and stuff. So it's completely different and you probably get a little bit uh, shocked out there. Just Yeah. I mean, not everyone can be as, like, cool and calm as DG was when he came in and just was, like, lights out from day one. Yeah, exactly. But um, I charted the seven passes came through against Bethune-Cookman. Um, they were impressive, to be honest with you. Five of the seven throws, he had a designed rollout or a designed boot. So they got him going on the run, thrown on the run, and he looked really good. Um, four of seven success rate, uh two drops, I think, and then the one throw in the backcourt of the end zone, he got a little bit confused by the coverage. The DB actually made a great play. They were kind of sitting in a zone in the goal line, and he had the flat and the corner route, and he kind of played both of them to perfection and got back to the corner. So that was his one major incompletion. I think he had a wide-open flat throw on the run to uh, number 85. He was wide open, and he just threw it a little behind him and a little hard, which is a throw. It was a third and two. I like the the 11-yard line. So it's a throw you got to make in a big game, but um, wide open. That was the only knock I could say. Um, other than that, he looked really good. The TD pass was beautiful, under pressure, getting hit. I think he released it from the 39, and it was caught on the 6 on the run while getting taken down. Um, again, that was the only throw he had against man coverage. So that was good to see, 33 yards in the air on the run. Um, then he threw a couple out routes against zone, and it, a couple of curls against a zone and kind of on the move, just reading coverages and making a quick decision. So I was good to see him make the right decision one and then make an accurate throw where they're getting ahead in the sticks. You get six or seven yards on those plays on first and second down and you're in where you want to be and you're not in the situations they were against Louisville that destroyed them. Yeah, no, definitely. And, uh, you know, we've got a whole bye week too. Couldn't have been better timing with that for him to get a bunch of reps with the ones. And then, then we play Navy who they're not that good, right? I don't believe so, but the triple option will always. Scare oh me. no, that, I'm not saying it's an easy game. I'm just saying like, they don't, they haven't looked that good so far, no. but you know, hopefully um, that'll be some good, I guess, practice for him. Uh, well, not necessarily practice. It's a real game, but he'll get some good reps. And then, then we've got ECU and then Cincinnati. So, yeah, I mean, like you said, can't have the highest expectations, but I think there's definitely, you know, a lot to look forward to with him. And, uh, you know, I guess I have a little bit of hope. So I think we're going to see a lot of Joey Gatewood, too. Um, just from kind of looking at the Louisville game and some of that, Bethune-Cookman just trying to get through Gatewood's plays to Keene's plays because they're kind of alternating. A lot of, like, QB design runs, just like what you saw with Cam at Auburn, just QB power. Um, with a bash option, which is basically just running. Like if you're running, if you're blocking for QB power, but you run a jet sweep in motion, you're giving it to the jet sweep, which is bash. Basically just running away from the blocking. Right. Yeah. You I mean, could do that with running back. Like just kind of, there's a lot of options they could do there. And I mean, I don't know if we've seen Gatewood throw or how much he's thrown in his career, but he was a quarterback. Like it's not like he's a strict wildcat guy. Like if he could throw that gives you so many options. You could run a QB power pop pass. You could run like what you saw 
Clemson did it in the semifinals or the national championship. I, I don't know, but QB draw, pop pass. Like there's so much, so many options that you could run in there just with small packages that they could throw in game weeks and stuff. So I think it's going to open up the option to using both quarterbacks kind of very effectively, just especially if Gatewood could add that little extra throwing element where he's not going to have to make difficult throws, but kind of hopefully throws that are just schemed wide open just because of his capability to run the ball. When I saw him on the sideline at the Louisville game, I mean, he is as big as Cam Newton. He's 6'5", 220, and he was like towering over the other skill guys that were around him. And you're right, you know, we've seen him in some like wildcat or wild night packages versus, you know, Bethune Cookman and then which I think they were kind of just kind of testing him out, and then against Louisville. So, if anything, we'll see the same amount, but I think you're right. We'll definitely see more of him to mix it up with Mikey. Um, you know, I looked up his passing stats. He's only attempted uh, 42 passes in his career, and 22 of those are completions, but we don't know the situation and stuff like that. Who knows? Yeah, I, mean, I don't think they're going to – they're not going to run the same offense they'd run with Keane or DG. Like, it's going to be designed plays where there should be schemed open and not have to make, like, difficult throws. But, yeah. I mean, he might be a good – like, we, we we don't know. He was a four-star recruit out of high school. Like, so he's throwing the ball at some point well. Yeah. We just, we just don't know. I mean, he's always been kind of buried on the depth chart. But it's definitely good that we have options. And uh, I, I, I think you're right. I think we'll definitely see both of them. It's good where if – the offense systems are working, they could bring him in and it's a completely different offense that might like it might the change of pace, the the change of scheme, like it might be what changes the outcome of the game. Just you see it with Florida against Alabama, they kind of found something with Trayvon Henderson and it kind of changed that whole game. So you never know what's gonna be like what changes a big game. It could be a huge factor against Cincinnati, like that's exactly what I was thinking. Not only that, it gives them double the stuff to prepare for, which exactly. you know isn't isn't that easy. You know, one of the uh, the Eagles analytics guy that uh, won them not won them the Super Bowl, but was with them with the Super Bowl was a huge part of the Super Bowl. Just joined tw- Twitter and he was saying how like the the Bears with Fields and Dalton before Dalton got hurt, obviously like how much of a nightmare that is for coaches to actually prepare for and stuff. So. Just that added element is just crazy. You have to think about how you have to prepare for probably another 20, 25 plays. Yeah, definitely. And not only that, in that preparation, that's less time you can focus on the other one. Exactly. So the biggest thing I'd say is if you look back to 2017, 28, like UCF got all the breaks then. Like there were games they probably could have lost. You look at that Navy game with the Brandon Moore fumble force, like all those little plays that you like. Oh, look back to are, 2013 is an even better example. There were like five or six games that we got lucky on, and none of them we didn't get lucky on. None of them we got unlucky on, you know? Uh, you're a statistics guy. I'm sure you know the saying. It's regression of the mean, so. Exactly, and I mean, it's going to happen at some point when you're not Alabama, who's literally just dominates everybody. Like, it's going to happen at some point, and it sucks when you lose and you want to overreact and everything. I mean, I used to overreact to. Um, I can't say that I didn't, but you got to come to the realization at some point that uh, this stuff's going to happen. It's football. It's a great game. There's so much little things that go on. Like, just enjoy it. That Louisville, the Louisville UCF game was an unbelievable game. Like, if we weren't UCF fans, we would have thought it was the best game ever. 
Yeah, I would say that this is probably the closest it could feel to being on the other side of the UCF-USF game in 2017, despite it not being a rivalry game. Obviously, that adds in a whole other factor. That would be if it was like Louisville beating Kentucky or something like that. But in terms of um, just kind of the roller coaster of emotions and crazy endings, I would say it's definitely up there with those. And, uh, you know, as a football fan, I, I can appreciate that. As a UCF fan, it's heartbreaking, and especially with all the injuries and stuff. But what can you do? That's what makes it so much fun. You know, the, the lows and the pain make it so much better when you get back up top. So that's why we're fans. <laughs> and I like UCF's going to be down low. They're going to lose maybe two, 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 three games. Like, it's not like they're – We're undefeated you, in the conference right now. We're fine. <laughs> get, a, get a true freshman QB, some great experience, and hopefully win some games with them with a great O-line around them and get experience under his new coach. Like, it's a new scheme. Like, it's going to be invaluable for Keen, um, and hopefully they could just win with them. And I I love the staff that they put together. Uh, like I mentioned, the O-line's been unbelievable. I think Gus has been great trying to incorporate what DG liked and kind of his own stuff. Um, and Travis Williams, I know the defense struggled a bit tackling, but like he's players seem to love him. Like he's high energetic. Like it's not exactly what we've seen out of D coordinators in the past recent at UCF. <laughs> so it, it's a fun change, and he seems to be a guy that loves his job and stuff. So it's hard to knock any of that, no matter if the defense has a bad game or not. Yeah, definitely, and I mean. You know, you got to remember, he just came in here, too. Many of these guys are his recruits, and they've only been under him for, you know, a limited amount of time. So I think, you know, both sides of the ball, we're just going to continue to improve year after year. Definitely excited for uh, for our future. Anything else you want to add? I don't think people understand how just how difficult it is to learn, like, coverage schemes at the college level and how advanced that is to, like, for DBs and stuff. The D-line's been awesome, so – but – in terms of like the secondary, maybe struggling a little bit, or I like it's so it's hard to put into words. I mean, I personally don't know because I never like played college football or anything, but like just from like talking to people and watching a bunch of football, like you could see that young corners and young DBs. I mean, you look at Ohio State right now, they got a ton of young DBs and they're struggling against the pass. Like it's just how it is. It's such a different game there's so much to learn it's i don't know how a lot of these kids learn everything it's just like i try to learn stuff like football related like coverages and run games and stuff and i'm like lost after like five plays but these guys learn so much it's so it's it's crazy and it's not just learning it too you've got to be able to process what you see and adjust and react to it all in like a split second while still doing the physical part of the game with whoever you're guarding or whatever you're doing it's it's definitely impressive, and I, I think people don't appreciate it. You know, they just you know they just watch watch it on TV and yell at people for not making a tackle or whatever, and they have no idea what was really going on. But yeah, I mean, you can't knock people for not really understanding just because of how hard the game is to learn. No, but I knock people for like don't get on the players so hard. You know what I'm saying? Like just appreciate yeah. how, how many hours they put into this. Like you think they're trying to mess up? Okay, you know what I'm saying? And okay, so they did. Or are you going to make them feel bad about it? Because that's not going to help them in the future. That's that's what what I'm kind of getting at. Obviously, I don't expect anyone to know all the same stuff. But it's like, it's not going to help if you just bash players online. It's only going to hurt them if anything. So, but uh, that's the world we live in, I guess. So whatever. 
Yeah, social media is awesome, but it sucks at the same time. Yep. But uh, anyway, all right. Thanks, man. This has been awesome. Like always, uh, follow him on Twitter at squints underscore 15. That is correct. Sounds good, man. Well, like I said, thanks again and uh, appreciate your time, brother. Thank you. Thank you, as always, to our analytics guru, Squints. And uh, just wanted to say thanks. Really broke down Mikey Keene. Again, I'll tell you, made me feel a lot better uh, about the whole situation, even though we're wishing Dylan a speedy recovery. Um, kind of is what it is. So yeah. Mikey's ready to to lead the team here. I, I, have, a, I have a lot of hope for a lot of different reasons, and uh, – Thank you, Squints, for sharing all that great information with us. Okay, it's time for our favorite segment, Money Moves Picks of the Week. One and one again last week. Big winner with Michigan State over Miami. That was a trounce, a trouncing. Free. Did have a loser in Indiana. Looked really good for like three quarters. I still can't figure out the Cincinnati team. It's like the first quarter, they look like freaking UConn. <laughs> like Ritter starts out like one of eight with a pick. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, like fourth quarter, they turn it on and cover the spread. Same thing happened against Murray State. And I can't remember the first team they played, but. They just yeah. get out to these really slow starts and then just turn it on at the end. It makes no sense. But and they they won by like two scores too. Like I understand <laughs> if you do that one game, then you feel oh the next game they're not going to sleepwalk. They do it again. So I don't know. Um, All that anyway, means hey, we got to come out hot in Cincinnati. See you guys there. Season total now two two and one. Not the greatest, but we got two more for you this week to get you back in the win column. All right, first one, we're going to go with Arkansas plus five and a half against Texas A&M. Woo, pig suey. Give me the Razorbacks. Fresh off a win against old rivals from the Southwestern Conference, Texas, the Hogs are actually back. 3-0 start, haven't had a winning season since 2016, so they're hyped. Quarterback K.J. Jefferson leads Arkansas's balanced attack as it'll be too much for A&M to handle. They also have a linebacker literally named Bumper Pool <laughs> Jr. <laughs> Jr., by the way. Not just a name either, second on the team in tackles. For Texas A&M, this is their second game of the year being played in an NFL stadium. Yes, it's at AT&T Stadium, Jerry's World. Arkansas's first road game, by the way, so it makes me a little uneasy. But I got to tell you, Arkansas, they're back, hyped, just beat Texas. They'll beat another Texas team. Call the Hogs. Place your bet on the Razorbacks, plus five and a half. What's the money line on that game? Not an official pick, just curious. It's got to be like 180-something. Hold on, let's just look it up real quick. All right. <laughs> plus 180, what did oh, you say? One eighty. I said 180. Oh, maybe I'll leave that in. It's 185. Hold on a second, getting a little feedback. Uh, I got 180 on here. But, all right. All right, cool. All right, uh, Arkansas, who do you got next? All right, my next pick, we're going to run it back with Michigan State. Minus five against Nebraska. I'm taking Sparty again. 
even past my expectations from last week with an absolute stomping over Miami. Yes, I understand Nebraska only lost to Oklahoma by seven last week, but I think that has more to do with Oklahoma letting teams stay in the game rather than Nebraska playing up to a competition a la Tulane. Tulane, they played they played Oklahoma tough. Um, they beat an FCS team the next week and then got trounced again. Um, so I think Sparty rolls in this game, 38-24. Scott Frost, unfortunately, playing for his coaching career, and I don't think it happens this week. Michigan State takes it. Minus five. That seems low, but I think I kind of like Nebraska just because I'm like a recency bias. I'm I'm strongly affected by recency bias. I'm like, oh, they just pretty much beat Oklahoma. But it does seem like value when you look at the big picture and the whole season, how bad Nebraska's been and how much uh, Michigan State whooped Miami last week. So I like it. Yeah, it's a night game at Michigan State. Nebraska, not They looked awesome. Yeah, they looked awesome last week. It was against Miami. (laughs) I mean, it was not good. Um, (laughs) But yeah, Michigan State, minus five. All right, and what was the other pick? Arkansas, plus five and a half against Texas A&M. Let's Let's get get that that money. money. All right, last up we've got Moose Mailbag, where we answer all of your questions. Thank you guys, as always, for listening. Please subscribe, rate, and review. Not enough people reviewing. Even though we are the most reviewed UCF podcast. We are. Please review. It takes like two seconds. Yes, please. I got an idea. Should we give away some gift cards? Let's do it. All right. So, all right. Let's give away some First Watch gift cards. So, we will give out two gift cards, two $25 gift cards randomly to anyone that leaves us an iTunes review this week. Just leave a review and send either me or Moo a screenshot, and we will announce the winner. Moo will announce the winner on next Tuesday. Tuesday, Moose Day. So, yeah. Tuesday, Moose Day. Um, okay. Moose Mailbag. First question is from MD Knight 2016. With seeing how this offense runs with Isaiah Bowser, is Jordan McDonald the most important recruit for UCF to get in the 2022 recruiting class? Eh, I mean, there's a lot of good running backs out there, clearly, as you can see, um, to where even fourth and fifth string running back, the more importantly is keeping the line um at a high at a high talent level like it is right now. I think the line is a lot is very underestimated um and underappreciated when you consider that we are on our fourth and fifth string running back and they're still, you know, tearing it up. It, it's more kudos to the to the offensive line. So to answer your question, no, I, I don't think he's the most important recruit. I, I would say a, a a bigger lineman. Um to kind of replace some of the guys that we're going to be losing this year, like Sam Jackson and Colt Schneider, more than likely. Yeah. Um, you know, the the most important recruit is the next one. Sorry to get philosophical. I don't really know what that means. That's like when, when we asked Dylan what his favorite win was, and he like said, I don't know, 
the one he hasn't gotten yet. I don't remember. All right, go. All right, next question is from Golden Knight 2. Has our defense improved as a unit? With the lack of tackles for loss, turnovers, and sacks, third down stops, and playing soft coverage, what have they improved on? Well, <laughs> thanks for all the info. Look, I can see how you would think that way from the outside, but you got to remember, I mean, we've been decimated by injuries, both sides of the ball. Thornton was out. Uh, Ricky you Barber. Ricky Barber. Ricky Barber. I think there was someone else. I mean, it felt like every, I don't know, every 10 minutes or so, there was someone down on the field. I think Thornton might have got a concussion. It looked like he ran into someone's knee over there on the goal line. But, I mean, I think we've, you know, just improved on our cohesiveness as a, as a group. It's tough to compare these games because we go from opening game, whole new scheme with Boise, get gashed, but then tighten it up. To an FCS team, you can't really judge that. And to a tough road game at Louisville. So, I mean, I can't say anything specifically, but I think we're just going to keep getting better throughout the season. Uh, but injuries, you know, can put a big damper on that. So it's tough to, to blame anyone or anything or say we haven't improved. We might have been improving. And then, you know, some of our, our starters get out. And it's tough to expect us to play exactly the same after that happens. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, it's not always about stats. Um I think that the defensive coverages had to change a little bit due to the injuries and also, you know, them being a mobile, such a mobile quarterback. The tackling could be a little better. Yeah, I mean, look around the the nation. Playing defense is hard. If we're going to be in the Big 12, you yeah. know, <laughs> they, nobody has a good defense. It's... Alabama Alabama gave up what 30 points to Florida who looked you know inept against um like they couldn't score when they played FAU you know it just happens so yeah I'm not I'm not too worried uh you know I think we'll just keep getting better all right next question from Dan Cundiff see it cross it dude so with Mikey Keene what do you do more of what do you do less of I think after seeing him in the Bethune-Cookman game, I don't know if I'd really change the the whole playbook around that much. Uh, um, he seemed to be just as mobile, if not more, than Dylan. Um, he seemed to be able to read, you know, go to his second and third, um, read out out in the field. So I would just let it fly. I mean, maybe you go to looking at like some of the projected lines that I put out, you know, Navy as like a minus, uh, like still minus 18. Um, I did put out this tweet with all of the projected lines um, for the rest of the year. I did have to adjust for the DG injury, which DG is worth about seven points to these lines. So if DG were to come back or if Mikey, you know, Depending on how Mikey Keene plays, these lines could be adjusted back, you know, closer to what they were with DG. But as far as like not having as much tape on Mikey, I would keep the lines where they're at. So for us still being as an 18 point favorite against Navy, I mean, they're pretty bad. Um, I would just let her rip. See, you know, see what happens. Even the next week, ECU. It's kind of really like two tune-up games to get ready for that showdown at Cincy. 
And uh, it, the scheduling's worked out perfect for us with yeah, the bye week yeah, and then yeah. those two games. Not saying we're looking over those opponents. Every game's going to be tough going forward, but especially because of how hard people come at us. Like Louisville gave us, you know, they're 100%, whereas they didn't really look like that week one for them. But the scheduling, I mean, two easier opponents after a bye week, it couldn't have been more perfect for Mikey to really, really get some good reps in and be positioned well to beat Cincinnati. Uh, all right. This next one is from at UCF Knights. If you're Gus, do you go for it on that fourth down? Wait, so like, do you know what which fourth down he's talking about? So the main football account is tweeting us. So no, at was, UCF Knights. It was like at U underscore C underscore F. Gotcha. Um, that's like that one, like Michigan State, Clemson, UCF. Yeah, you remember? Yeah. Um. So I talked about this with Swins. There were two fourth downs. There was the one where they went from fourth and six to fourth and one to fourth and six, and we punted. And then there was the other one where I think it was later in the game, Squint said he thought they should have went for it. I always say go for it because that's just what I do. But we punted, and apparently the punt was the right call. So early game, punt bad. Late game, punt good. So we were one for one, I guess, analytics-wise. Um in my opinion, I don't know. Go for it. I'd rather we – I don't know. <laughs> what did you think? I'd rather we win. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, next question from Big12, Adam Tara. Does UCF win this game in the bounce house? Was this the greatest showing of UCF fans on the road that you've personally seen? I think for sure we would have won the game if it was in the bounce house. Um it's hard to replicate that atmosphere anywhere else in the world for that matter. Oh, I agree. So I, I, I think the greatest showing of UCF fans on the road that I've personally seen, it's, it's gotta be the peach bowl. Well, it's like neutral site. The greatest showing of UCF fans on the road. We went on the road. Well, and I personally, I didn't go on the road. It. No, I flew. I flew if you want to get literal on me. I flew too. Okay, so you were not on the road. You were on the airport runway. Oh, whatever. It, all right, I think that, he means I think he means road assembly, road games. Means, road games. Pit? Well, I disagree. Oh no. I think he USF. USF in uh 2018, I think. Yeah, USF 2018 was probably the greatest showing of UCF fans on the road. Oh, wait, technically a home game. All right, anyway. <laughs> Great. Next one is from Lisa De Benedetto. I wasn't blown away with Cincinnati's game this past weekend. Do you agree with their number eight ranking? And what are your thoughts with our matchup in a month after week two? Rankings are dumb. But the thing is, is like once you're there, that's why the preseason rankings actually matter so much is because once – once you're there, that's your position to lose. Whereas we had to just, you know, during our 25-game win streak, we had to just hope for everyone else to lose for us to move up. We weren't ever just there. So, I mean, do I agree? I don't know. I don't. It's so tough to tell before these teams really start playing each other. But as Moo mentioned earlier, 
they haven't looked that good. I mean, they've been really slow to start, but who knows? And my thoughts on our matchup after a month, I think we're going to come out great, you know, a month with Mikey Keene under center. Um, but who knows, you know, we'll be able to answer that question a lot better uh, from, uh, you know, week after week as we see more and more of this kind of new team. And there's a lot of other injuries to factor in too. So it's tough to answer right now. Uh, what do you think, Moo? Yeah, I'm pretty much in line um, with Ritters of Fraud. I've said that for three years running now. But but I think that I think we will have a good chance. Now, the projected line that I have would say otherwise. Right now, I have Cincinnati as an 18.5-point favorite. Now, that is simply a projection. So, I would be looking to bet anything that's close to like a UCF plus... 10 plus 11, even with Mikey Keene at quarterback. I will reassess the games weekly, as I always do. But right now, according to the power ranks, they have Cincinnati as an 18.5-point favorite. Okay. Last question from Todd Thrasher. What conference game is a trap game? Cincinnati and Memphis are on everyone's radar, but which game could be this year's Tulsa? Oh, do you want me to really tell you? I think ECU? it's USF. What? The, what? I think it's USF. Look, they always play their best game when they're their worst. Yeah, and we did the same something. for them. <laughs> I, so the the way, just like I t- was telling you in the earlier uh, in the show, they were ranked seventeenth in the nation 2008 and we almost beat him in overtime we were four and eight team with michael greco at quarterback like, then 20 no business in that game 20 no business then go forward to 2013 we're ranked we're one game away from clinching the conference championship because there was no conference championship game in 2013 and what was usf like two and seven and they come in and almost beat us in the bounce house that year derailing that Dude, entire season i think I think we were like a 28 point, 28 point favorite. And what do we win by like three or something? Something like that. I, I remember Ozerites had a late uh, interception. I think Perriman scored the game winning touchdown. But regardless, I mean, that was a two win USF team. They had no business even being anywhere near, anywhere close to us. And we had everything on the line and they had nothing and they still played us close. So that's, I mean, Obviously, I know. even la- even going to last year, team was one and eight. Okay, they beat the Citadel. That was it. All right, what they beat a they just Stone beat, Tower. They just beat. They just beat FAMU. Okay, so they haven't beat a Division One school since East Carolina in 2019, two freaking years ago. Ouch. It, and they almost beat. <laughs> well, I don't want to say almost, but it was very scary at the end of the game last year as a 25 point favorite so i i mean correct me if i'm wrong that's the trap that's a great answer i was just gonna say ecu because uh they got that quarterback i remember he was i don't know they kept showing him nailers yeah they i mean i like the dude but like they kept showing this stupid footage of him like lifting a cinder block during COVID. i'm like that doesn't make you that strong, and also you're just doing this for the camera. I don't know. That really got to me. But uh, 
I think, yeah, you know, your answer is the right answer. Mine is not. Uh, that is by far the probably the most probable to be a uh, a trap game. All right, let's wrap this up. Moo, pretty eventful nights in the NFL this week. Am I right? Yeah, Latavius Murray, great pickup by the Ravens, by the way. Um, had another touchdown run, second two weeks, as the Ravens took down the Chiefs in the epic fashion. Also, Matt Prater, UCF Hall of Fame alum, right? Yeah. Maybe? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if he's in the Hall of Fame yet. I think you have to retire. Oh. oh. Just say, well, he just will be in the Hall of start, Fame. Start that again. Also, Matt right. Prater. Also, Matt Prater, future Hall of Fame kicker, hit a 62-yard field goal for the Cardinals at the end of the first half. With room to spare, by the way. That thing would have been good for that, probably 67, I would say, at least. Yeah, that's it. Uh, everyone enjoy the bye week. Don't forget Michigan State and Arkansas. Sean, you're headed to Italy. A buongiorno. A grazie. <laughs> When do you get back? I leave early Wednesday morning, and I get back. I leave on the 30th, so I think I get back on the 1st. But nice bye week with a uh, actually someone I met at UCF is getting married over there. Going to eat a lot of pasta. Going to try and stay off Twitter. That probably won't work. Uh, but it will be nice to get away from football and the uh, the United States. I guess in general. Um, last year's game wasn't that close. I'm looking at the box score. I mean, they did score a lot, but we were never, it was never within. Duh, it got kind of hairy there at the end there, bud. But they, we were up 20 points, and then they scored a touchdown with 14 seconds left to be down 12. Oh, yeah, no. All right, I see at one point they did make it seven, and then we scored twice. I forgot about that. A selective memory comes with uh, comes with age. Yeah, no, Italy's gonna be cool. Uh, if anyone has any recommendations, I'll be in Milan for pretty much the eight days. Wedding's like an hour north, so I'll be there for a couple in between. But looking forward to that. Uh, gonna be high fashion. And congratulations to our first watch, first touchdown score of the game. Winning pick was Evan Lawfer with 42 yards to Ryan O'Keefe. The actual yardage was 41, so pretty amazing guess there. And uh, he will win a $25 first watch gift card. Yeah, so, uh, you know, I've been big seasonal menu guy, but went back to the basics uh, this last week, back on the avocado toast. Here's a little tip. If you like tomato, get the avocado toast, add tomato, Moo, I know you hate tomato, so you probably don't like that, but... What? I love tomatoes. Oh, okay. Then I'm getting you confused with a different friend. Anyway, it's really good, and it definitely fills you up. Don't. I just want to remind everybody to download the First Watch app. Comes in clutch, especially season time coming in. The old folks are coming back. You don't want to be waiting on, on your First Watch, so... Download the app. You can actually get on the wait list before you get to the restaurant. Waltz right in. Table will be ready. Wow. And, uh, 
That's yeah. I did not know that. That's I that's mean, a money move pick. Let's go. Skip, skip all the old people sitting out there. I hate if that's like my biggest thing I hate in life is like going to a restaurant to eat and then like waiting. I need, a call ahead. I need a reserve. I need I need a reservation. Even there's some places they don't do call ahead. Reservation for six in the first. I watch. need a I need a reservation or like a bar or something. I, I just Bar's can't good. like stand around. Yeah, no, it's that's the absolute worst. Uh, I definitely agree. Um, by the way, going back to the Italy thing, we're not doing a show, right? There's no way. I mean, unless I learn how to edit between now and then. Yo, let's you do, do a live. Little Instagram live. I guess it's gonna have to go live. Maybe like a little Saturday pregame show. We could or do. Something. We could do that with the time change. Change could get a little dicey, but we'll see. Also, Wi-Fi is not usually the best over there. I don't know the last time you were in Europe, but I know the last time I was. A little travel tip for people: make sure your hotel has air conditioning because that's not like a guaranteed thing in Europe. And I booked a uh, hotel in London when I was going to visit uh, Liberty Bell last time and uh, it didn't have air conditioning and like it was the summer. So we come in from, you know, like exploring uh, all the stuff. Uh, I forget that one building with, you know, the people or whatever that's famous. And uh, I get back, I'm like sweaty, take a shower. And then by the time you're dried off, you're sweaty again because it's hot. So a little travel tip, make sure your place has AC and uh, yeah, down to do a little Instagram live. That'll be fun. If I have Wi-Fi. And it'll work. Dude, we did the first... Remember the first season I was in Scotland? Made that work, even though it sounded like I was <laughs> using a Campbell's soup can for a microphone. <laughs> yeah, it it did. Uh, I mean, I could try... We could try a Zoom on my laptop. I just gotta... I gotta, like, import all the, uh, the sound effects and stuff. But, I don't know. We'll see. We might not have anything to talk about, so... Maybe yeah. an Instagram live would be would be fun. Anyways, enjoy yourself over in Italy. Be safe. Oh, don't forget. Subscribe, rate, review. Take a screenshot of said review. Send it to either of us, and we'll pick two, randomly pick two people to win a $25 First Watch gift card on next Tuesday. Tuesday, Moose Day. So, First Watch is good, and it's free. Possibly, if you review, it's worth it's worth it even if it's not though. I mean, I've I've been going there for for years. So, anyway, thank you guys. Go nights. Charge on. Domination. Domination.